0: Hello, hi. My name is, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian Simpers, and I'm one of the elders here at Grace Covenant. I am not, however, a candidate for our vacant senior pastor position. In fact, I'm not a preacher at all, though I have played one on TV. So... uh Let's pray and get started with today's study of God's Word. Bow your heads with me. Dear God, your words, not mine. Your truth, not mine. Your ministry, not mine. Your love, not mine. Your will be done, not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. The text for today's sermon comes from John 9, and we'll be looking at the entire chapter. If you want to turn there with me, I actually don't have what page it's on in your pew Bibles, but I'm sure you'll find it. Meanwhile, I'll start, because it's kind of long. Starting with John 9, as he passed by, talking about Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? and washed, and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then, How were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man... You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This chapter has been on my heart for some time. I keep coming back to it and reading it again and again, meditating on it. It would be easy and true to say that it was the Holy Spirit that put it on my heart. That's accurate, but I'm not going to leave it at just that. There is something about this passage that draws us in. On the surface, we see Jesus healing a man born blind, but he's Jesus and has healed in John's gospel prior to this. We also see in this chapter various reactions to Jesus' healing, and they are the typical reactions that we have seen in John chapters 1 through 8, ranging from belief to hostility to confusion. I think if I had to try to be more exact as to exactly what it was or what it is about this passage that draws me, and what consequently makes me want it to share, want me to share it with you, makes me want to share it with, that, makes me want to share it with you, is that we see the whole gamut of man's reaction to the providence, authority, and vision of Jesus' ministry. Basically, we see the gospel. Therefore, being faithful Presbyterians, we will be looking at three things in this passage. Divine providence, divine authority, and the divine vision. Starting with divine providence. The confession our denomination uses is the Westminster Confession, And it explains what I mean by providence in this way God, the great creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. At the end of John 8, we read that Jesus has gone out of the temple because the Jews were going to stone him, but is still in Jerusalem. This is important to keep in mind as we look at verses 1 and 2 of John 9. They say, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We see the disciples start the ball rolling with a question that we recognize even separated by 2,000 plus years. We don't often, don't we often assume we know the story? Think about it. Car accident plus teenagers equals what? They must have been drinking or texting. Young woman plus unmarried plus pregnant equals, well, you know. Fifty-three-year-old man plus cancer equals, well, he must have been a smoker. And the disciples' question, we, we see this equation, too. Blind guy plus born with blindness equals somebody must have done something, and God punished this dude and made him blind. Now, all we are the disciples need to know to satisfy our morbid curiosity is, Who sinned? We recognize this question because it sounds like theology we can get on board with. As we will later see, it's Pharisee theology. God gets angry with sinners, gets his wrath on, and wham, somebody gets smoked. Mess with God, get what you deserve. Now, there is some biblical basis for this warped view. The Bible tells us God has, since the foundation of the world, set about to eliminate sin. We even have a Bible proof text for the disciples to think in this way. We look at Exodus 20, verse 5, about the middle of the second commandment, and it seems to back us up. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity or sins of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Okay, we've got it. There it is. But Jesus, made flesh and dwelling amongst them, goes and turns it all on its head in that wonderfully graceful way he has. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Notice what Jesus isn't saying. He isn't saying that the blind man was sinless or that the blind man's parents were without sin. What Jesus is saying is that their sin wasn't the reason the man was born blind. Jesus changes the equation from the analytic, scientific, who did what, cause and effect, to the much deeper and more dangerous why. This is the glory of God right here. Jesus is normative, he is dogmatic. All of this is about God the Father's glory. This man's blindness is an act of divine providence. It was all set up by God to be exactly this way. And Jesus confirms it in these verses. Now, for the rest of the chapter, as far as the Bible is concerned, the disciples' mouths are shut. They thought they understood the equation, but they didn't. The disciples didn't get the answer they were expecting they would because they asked the wrong question. Of course, we modern folks would never do that now. Notice that Jesus goes still further, setting up in verses 4 and 5 what is going to happen next. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, these two verses alone are worthy of a sermon, but it is sufficient for now to say two things. First, Notice that Jesus uses the plural we with the disciples. And second, that light and darkness are more than mere physical distinctions. Jesus is the light of the world. This man was born blind so Jesus' light can shine. This man was born blind so we could see Jesus. Think on that for a moment. Isn't it beautiful? I had a student come up to me this week in Bible class pointing out a, a verse in Romans 6 and asking, how can he, talking about the Apostle Paul, do that grammatically? She was, she was looking at this verse and she just, it stuck in her brain. So we got a piece of paper and diagrammed the verse. And you know what she had noticed but didn't have a word for? The literary technique of parallelism. She was blown away by it. And I've been praising God ever since for revealing his beauty to her in that way. God's word and will are beautiful. So when we go back to the text, we see what? The disciples ask the wrong question and get an unexpected answer. And then we read in verses 6 and 7 that Jesus makes mud with his saliva or spit, puts the mud on the blind man's eyes, and then sends him to wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. The Pool of Siloam was in Jerusalem and according to my research was at the end of the 1,749 foot long tunnel made by King Hezekiah inside the city of David. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus says it was at the far end of the Valley of the Cheesemakers. Makes you wonder if they had a valley for cows. Anyway. Siloam is the Greek form of the Hebrew Shiloh, which I'm told means ascending of the waters or aqueduct. I mention this because I'm a history nut, and I thought it was interesting. So the blind man is sent to the pool whose name means sent. When the blind man comes back, he can see. There's some beautiful symmetry right there. This healing of the blind man brings us to our second point, divine authority. And as we go along, you'll notice that this narrative flows from providence to vision to authority over and back again, and not necessarily in that order. So now we're going to go back and we'll look at John chapter 9, and we'll start again at verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. We'll stop right there. Divine authority. Jesus gives this blind man sight just like he said he would. You may recall that in Luke 4, Jesus is rejected by his hometown of Nazareth after reading Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. What do they say? It's interesting. Listen to this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus healing the blind man fulfills the prophecy from Isaiah. The fact that this man is healed and has sight, rather than cause people to rejoice, it just drives the people, his neighbors, nuts. Look at the reactions. Immediately the questions start. Isn't this the blind man? No, it wasn't. Yes, he was. Wait, no, it only looks like him, and so on. And the formerly blind man is saying to them, to their faces, Yes, it is me. It would be funny if it weren't so sad. Of course, you know, nowadays they would have cameras in his face and get the doctors in and have him psychoanalyzed on Fox or CNN or something like that. Maybe go on Oprah. So the populace doesn't know what to make of it. Rather than turn to Jesus and ask, because remember, he mentioned Jesus. Rather than turn to Jesus and ask, we see in verse 13 that they take the former blind man to the experts, the authorities, which in that day and age meant the Pharisees. I guess in our day and age, it would mean, you know, the scientists or government bureaucrats. In verse 13, the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the Jews at the time, they look into the case of the man born blind and they ask, as would be natural, how it happened. In verse 15, the formerly blind man tells them, and their reaction is in verse 16, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. No rejoicing is mentioned, no thanksgiving, no praise. You notice that? Just an immediate concern as to how the miracle was done. The Pharisees' authority, tied up in keeping their interpretation of God's law, comes first. This man is not from God. How could they say that? Well, we're told in the passage it was because Jesus healed the blind man on the Sabbath. Now, according to John's gospel, this is not the first time that Jesus is healed on the Sabbath. In John 5, Jesus healed a chronic invalid. The, the Jews did the same thing to that man as they are now doing to the former blind man in chapter 9. John chapter 5, verse 10, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. The real issue, however, is brought out in verse 16, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Look further at verse 17 in John chapter 5, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. John 5:27 explains still further, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. This healing of this blind man was an execution of judgment, a declaration of authority. Remember John chapter 9, verse 3, Jesus said that the works of God might what? Might be displayed in him. It it is an indictment of the Pharisees and anyone else who refuses to acknowledge Jesus' authority. Look at the confusion it causes among the religious experts. This miracle blinds them even as it enables the formerly blind man to see. Look at John 9.16. Right after saying that Jesus could not be from God, they asked themselves, look at the question, how can, a man, how can a man who is a sinner, look at the assumption, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Then they asked the former blind man, what do you say about him? And he tells them, he's a prophet. When Jesus performed this miracle, Understand, he was already in hot water with the Pharisees and religious leaders. In John chapter 5, they were talking about killing him. In John chapter 7, they go to arrest Jesus and can't find him. And then in chapter 8, right before the events we are studying now, we have Jesus telling the Jews in verse 44 that they are of their father the devil because they will not believe the truth. So what do they do? They pick up stones to stone him, but Jesus hides and leaves the temple. The religious leaders and the Pharisees can't get around the fact that this was a genuine miracle. But boy, they sure try, don't they? They even bring in the man's parents try to get, try to get eyewitness testimony that the blind man wasn't really blind from birth. Verses 18 through 23 show how they try to get the parents to say something to impugn the credibility of their son and thereby get at Jesus. No dice. Look at Verse 18. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. But isn't this behavior typical? I mean, we don't condone it, but we sure do recognize it. God puts his finger on us, and rather than it submit, rather than repent, Rather than acknowledge God's authority over our lives, we wiggle, we squirm, we rationalize, justify, discredit, anything to get out from under. They call in this man's parents, intimidating them with the possibility of being put out of the synagogue. We would call that excommunication. And notice that the former blind man's parents aren't shown rejoicing at this miracle. Their son, who was blind from birth, has been healed And all they can do is say, go ask him. They're terrified and they pass the buck. This is what we were talking about earlier. Divine authority so supersedes that of man that it it upends it. It just knocks it right over. The Pharisees who said that Jesus couldn't heal like that unless he was from God, they were right. The healing of the blind man is unmistakable, unambiguous proof of Jesus' authority. So what do they have to do now? What's the reaction now? They have to break the former blind man. They've got to do it. They have to or potentially lose their standing, their credibility, their significance as experts of the law. The Pharisees call this poor guy back. and In John 9, 24, they get rough. Look at the phrase, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. The commentators tell us that the use of this particular phrase, give glory to God, is yet another intimidation tactic that has a potential physical threat. Go back to the first use of this phrase. In, John's, in Joshua chapter 7, Joshua says it to Achan to get him to admit he took plunder from Jericho. Achan confesses his fault and rightly, is stoned and burned by the people of Israel along with his sons, daughters, livestock, tents, and everything he had. He had done what he should not have done. God saw it. They say this a couple times in Scripture, and each time they say it, it connotes judgment. So the former blind man answers them again, answers this question, and the only answer he can give is given with the simplicity of a child. Look at verse 25. He answered, whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I can see. But the priests, the rulers of the temple, and the Pharisees are so blinded by their own sin, they can't grasp it. The truth can't be that simple. It must involve washings, and sacred vessels, and special words, and heritage, in certain garments, in the Sabbath observations, they set down and incense and formal prayers and certainly not spitting on the Sabbath. That's forbidden. It certainly doesn't involve mud. And by the way, think about mud for a moment. Dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Jesus is God. So the same God who made Adam out of the dust of the earth Spits on the ground, mixes that dust up, takes it, anoints it on a blind man's eyes, and heals him. Heals him through, go now wash. So he sends him to the pool called scent. He washes the stuff off. He washes that mud off. Water, symbolic of regeneration and rebirth. And now he can see. That's beautiful right there. Jesus is the way. He determines the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus has healed the guy born blind with moistened earth and by his own authority. And the Pharisee reaction to that is, how dare he? So the man born blind tells the truth, shames the devil, gives glory to Jesus... And in so doing, aggravates the Pharisees, who are already really aggravated. Aggravates them still further. And in that beautiful moment, he even gets a little snarky with them. In verse 27, look what he says. I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Poke, poke, poke. That line coming from a beggar provokes the authorities so much that they slip up. And they say in verse 29, we don't know where he comes from, meaning Jesus. And then the former blind man responds and sounds a bit to me like Elijah on Mount Carmel when he taunts the priests of Baal. Look at verses 30 through 32. What does he say to him? We don't know where he comes from. Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to it. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So the Pharisees used their authority in reaction to that, and they cast the man out. Point three, divine vision. The Pharisees made good on the threat to cast the former blind man out of the synagogue. Now the former blind man, he's ready. He was blind, now he can see. He was part of the synagogue, now he's not. He wasn't saved, and now he will be. Verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The journey of this man's, this blind man's life brings to mind similar examples from other parts of scripture. In Genesis, the most the one that jumped out at me was in Genesis chapters 37 through 50 where the Bible tells the narrative of Joseph. His coat of many colors, his kidnapping, unjust conviction, unjust imprisonment, and eventual restoration. Ending in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20 with, As for you, this is Joseph saying, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Notice how the themes of divine providence, divine authority, and divine vision are woven together in this chapter. God the Father ordained that this man would be born blind. God the Father sent God the Son to heal the man born blind. God the Holy Spirit then gives the man spiritual eyes to see so that when he finally gazes upon his deliverer, his first reaction is to worship him. Think of the following verse. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's Matthew 16, verse 17. That was Jesus' reaction when Simon Peter said, You are the Christ, Son of the living God. The Pharisees don't get the answer because they are blind to Jesus as the Son of the living God. They want to know where Jesus' authority came from. How did he do it? How did he do it? The only conclusion to come to, had they been asking in faith, would have been the right one. That Jesus was who he had been saying he was, the Son of Man. The Messiah, Emmanuel, come to proclaim liberty to the captives, healing to the sick, and to restore sight to the blind. But they, the Pharisees, the neighbors, they are blind to the word become flesh, doing the things right in front of them that the prophets had said that he would do. They don't see it because, as Jesus says, they have been blinded. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. Look at that regeneration that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Are we also blind, said the Pharisees? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But well, now you say we see, your guilt remains. It is a terrible thing to lack that kind of vision. They are better They're like Satan as depicted in Milton's Paradise Lost. Remember what he says there? Milton has Satan say, Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. God in his divine providence provided a sacrifice to pay the debt of sin. We could not. God's authority was obeyed by his son Jesus, even unto death on a cross. Jesus rose again and ascended into heaven. He proclaimed liberty to the captives and sight to the blind, just as we have seen today. The question you should ask yourself today is, are you at liberty or are you a captive? Has Jesus given you eyes to see him so that you can worship him like the man born blind? Or are you blind like the former blind man's neighbors and parents, blind like the Pharisees? If you are blind, if you don't get it, don't despair. Seek Jesus. He is the light of the world. He promises in his word that if you ask in faith, it will be given you. Ask in faith for faith. And for those of us who have been given eyes to see, let us always remember that we were bought and paid for with Christ's blood. And so worship him as those who were formerly born blind, but now can see. Let us serve with gladness and let us live with joy. Let's pray.